Well, hey, and welcome to another edition of Simon Mayo's Books of the Year. I am Simon Mayo. I am Matt Williams. And this is one of our Books of the Year, which is John Simpson's Moscow in uh, Moscow Midnight. <laughs> which when, Not Moscow when, in Midnight. Yes. Not, just, just Moscow Midnight. Moscow Midnight. As you, you, when you listen to the interview, you'll understand why. Yes, that it's is very important that you get yeah. the, the whole emphasis of that. Uh, right. Now, <clears throat> here's the most important thing that you need uh, to know. Our friends and overlords at WH Smith. We love them. They've given us a, a £50 voucher to spend in their stores. Wow. It's always like the nicest thing. You know, you used to get uh, at Christmas from your granny or your aunt who didn't know what to get you, they'd give you a book voucher. Yes, they would. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what we're doing because uh-huh. we love our audience so much. We've got a £50 I mean, WH you could Smith spend voucher. it 50 quid on Galaxy Bars, uh, which I see they have quite a lot of in WH Smith, but we prefer that you spend the money on a book. I think we ought to say... How disappointed would be if you <laughs> would be a bit like your it. auntie saying, "I want this spent on a book." So here are the conditions, right? If you if you if you win, you have to buy my book <laughs> as one Brilliant. of the purchases. Yes, yes, and we will want a photograph of yes. you with said book and the receipt uh, and whatever else you are able to afford. Because yeah, Mad Bloodstone is coming out in paperback. Oh, is it? Is it Next, really? Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, to be in with a chance to win, we would like your best limerick yes. or poem or song or haiku. Though I think limerick might work. Limerick's and, always funnier. Okay. Yes, please. Yeah. And it's got to be about your mum. Yeah, about my mum. Because uh, <laughs> because your mum has come up. This was when we were doing Harry's Razors. Yes. I, I, we should explain the genesis of this, which is that uh, whenever one of us says your face... The other one always replies, your mum's face. Because this is what teenagers do. It is, this is apparently. what kids do. Yeah. For absolutely no reason no reason at all. You'd just be saying something and you say, they'll say, your face. They'll go, does that count as an argument? Because from where I'm sitting, you've just said your face, which means nothing. To which the counter is, your mum's face. And so when we were talking about our faces being smooth because of Harry's razors, then your mum's face being smooth as well. So basically my mum, and my mum is overjoyed about the fact that she's had so many mentions and that she's got a smooth face, which indeed she does. Um, so uh, we want a limerick based around my mum's face. Can you tell us smooth. any any more facts about her so that we can construct a, a uh, Well, she loves her golf. There you go. Her yes. name is Sheila. Her name is Sheila. Sheila Take a uh, Bow. She, Sheila Take a Bow, yeah. Uh, and uh, loves her golf and has a smooth face. Does she I'd support thought, Liverpool? She does. Yes, she does support Liverpool. So, you know, she's got that going for her. Uh, so everything's pretty good so far. Smooth face, Liverpool, name Sheila. And she does not read any books at all. Uh, in fact, last time I was at her house, um, I, I did comment on the fact that she needs more books on her bookshelf, which at the moment have crossword solvers, and that's it. Crossword solvers. If only, if only she had a relative who could supply who could her with just, books. Who could, who could just give her lots of... Go- and, of course, what does she listen to? She listened to Radio 2 until I was taken off. Um, so uh, what does she listen to now? I don't know. Well, Probably- I'll, I'll tell you in the new year. <laughs> I'll tell you in the new year what radio yes, station she'll yes. be listening no, to. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> yes. Uh, so she'll be... Ch- t- t- you can just forward it on to her. Because <laughs> I think, basically, everyone will lose interest in Radio 2 from I about so. December the 21st. Yes, yes, if if they hadn't already. Yeah. Um, so, yes, uh, that, that it's something based around that, I think. And we will say that, the, what, the funniest one wins? or The one I like the most. Oh, right, so it's entirely down to no, you. No, 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 I think, I think you, have to, you have 49% of the vote. Basically. Uh, 
We could. We could get her on the phone. I don't think that's a good idea. My mother, given the spotlight, goodness me, she'll never give it up. Uh, so I say... Let's so just... basically, the one we like the most is yes. basically the way it's yes. going to go. Yes. So what you have to do, if you, <clears throat> if you fancy this 50 quid voucher, uh, tweet us your efforts at Books of the Year or... Uh, I mean, that's obviously very public, but if you want to email them, it's booksoftheyear at yahoo.com. By midnight on December the 12th, this is 2018, obviously we'll announce the winner in our final show of the year. So it's a limerick. Yes. Or it can be it can be a poem or it can yeah. be something else. Nothing too long. No, and tedious. We don't want any of that. Um, by December the 12th at midnight, booksoftheyear at yahoo.com for the email. Oh, you can tweet us at Books of the Year. And that's all going to be fine. Yes, I think. I can't wait. I'm sure my mother can't wait either. Looking forward to bringing this up on she Christmas should, dinner. She should enter. <laughs> so, uh, standing by for John Simpson coming up. Michael Parkinson is going to be up uh, in the next few days talking about his George Best book. Roger Daltrey is going to be up soon with uh, his memoir and comedian and sort of amateur scientist Robin Ince is going to be with us before Christmas. So we're going to be very busy. And that means that the, the, the Q&As, will, they will be uh, coming along, but they're going to, you know, you're going to have to wait a bit for the Q&A. We'll release them before that Christmas New Year holiday, yes. won't we? It's always nice when you get when podcasts bored, appear then. When yeah. you're bored with home life and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, when you've had enough of your mother's face. Uh, <laughs> Joe Jackson, but not that one, says, Simon, Matt and team, you were asking for bits of books that were skipped uh, reading to children when my because I always used to skip it. Yeah, when my kids began reading properly, but not quite fast enough to move on a story at any great speed, we would read the Harry Potter series together. They'd read a page or two each, and I'd complete the chapter. This involves snuggling on the sofa with Katie and Sam, probably between the ages of seven and ten, and it was lovely. Then we reached Goblet of Fire. Uh, I felt I had to skip, minimizing spoilers here of the death of a certain schoolmate uh, in a graveyard, I felt like the torture of Harry and the death of a young person uh, would probably not make a full night's sleep a certainty. So I skipped the chapter, explained what had happened, and we moved on. Maybe I shouldn't have worried, as several months later, we reached the Deathly Hallows. Another death occurs on a beach outside Shell Cottage. I couldn't finish the page for sobbing, proper snotty tears. (laughs) My daughter removed the book from my hands and continued reading to her brother, what is she made of? She she made of flint? Well, it certainly <laughs> sounds like it. Sadly, they grow up and we no longer share books in this way as tastes change. In an effort to hold back electronic devices, we've introduced a Wi-Fi free night on a Tuesday. Oh, very good idea. Good luck with that. Everyone must be in the lounge with a book for 7pm after Zoe on Strictly. There is no way I'd be able to get that through. Oh, how I'd love to. Quiet reading until 9pm. It's complete bliss. Two hours! Two hours of quiet reading. Even the dog chills out. Loving the show, Steve. It's from Joe Jackson. Who I don't, I don't believe that, that such a thing is that possible. Is Can you imagine work. compulsory reading on a Tuesday night? Two hours. Right. Anyone else got anything uh, remotely similar to Joe's operation? Uh, you can email books of the year at yahoo.com. Yes, Paula tweeted us uh, off the back of Cressida Cowell uh, coming on the show. What a character Cressida is. Could listen to her for hours. So interesting. You must bring her back when her next book is out. In the meantime, I'm buying her titles for both me and the little people in my family. 
Uh, and Susie Slice and Dice also writes... What a strange uh, name. What a great name. Uh, emails, in fact, uh, to books of the year at yahoo.com. Dear Simon and Matt, just went to leave a five-star review and discovered it was a bit of a battle before I could write anything because I had to answer a load of security questions about a certain fruit-based ID and password that I never even knew I had. Being new to podcasting, I've got each show prefixed alphabetically wow. to keep them in the right order on my podcast player. And having run out of the 26 letters A to Z, first time round, have now got to ZF Q&A with Ian Rankin. It's probably better ways of doing this, I guess. Advice gratefully received. I don't think you need to keep the episodes afterwards. I... I tend to get rid of them even when when I've listened to them. Anyway, uh, just a note uh, adds uh, Susie Slice and Dice, just a note on Economy 7. We actually requested an Economy 7 meter this year and the engineer from Siemens was delighted. He said he'd had this meter rattling around in his van for years and his boss kept telling him to chuck it out. He refused, said he'd always knew he'd need it one day, was glad to oblige. Anyway, I love the podcast. Looking forward to future developments. And uh, if anyone at Siemens is listening to us and they want to yes. just get involved and sponsor and Yes, and please. Advertise, then. And send us an Economy 7. That'd well, be great. I don't want an Economy 7, actually. <laughs> oh, really? Ball, my ball has been fixed. Has it? I had a proper flush. This is oh. the boiler. This is the boiler. <laughs> this is the boiler. Yeah. I tend to need one of those, and it now works. Yes. Because yours tend to break down quite a lot. A lot, yes. Yeah. Martin Horton. Uh, this is a, the, We always tweet a picture of us with uh, the authors who come on the show. Martin thinks I look a, a little bit yellow and wonders if my liver is okay. Thank is you, it? Martin, for being concerned, as far as I know. As far as you know, it's, it's probably okay. just bad lighting on the producer. Well, I think it is the lighting. Uh, I always look like I'm really... I look like I've just run around the block and then had the photo taken. And Colin Udall, uh, honourable mention on the latest Books of the Year podcast from Matt Williams, Simon May, totally made my wet commute so much better. Okay. You think that's a euphemism <laughs> or something? Don't I can only hope. Anyway, thanks, Colin. For that. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, everyone, for uh, getting in touch. You can tweet us at Books of the Year. You can email books of the year at yahoo.com. Standing by for our big guest. Now, our guest uh, on Books of the Year is John Simpson. Uh, his book is Moscow Midnight. John is the BBC World Affairs editor. And I have to say, John, very welcome to the podcast, by the way. Thank you for joining us. I have to say, just having you in the studio is slightly uh, thrilling because when I was at Five Live. I mean, I'm still at Five Live doing the movie show, but when I was doing the afternoon show, uh, and it was the kind of second Iraq war, and if we got a call, oh yeah, you drop what you were doing, whatever it was. It could have been a discussion about album releases, or you could have been down in Westminster or something. And you go, we don't know how long we got John for, and you get a, a cue that was fired to you by the uh, by the editor, and you just used to go. Okay, John Simpson on the line. John, what can you tell us? Which is still to me the greatest ever question ever that you can ever <laughs> ask a foreign correspondent. You would then do your piece. Oh, you are lovely. And then you'd uh... stop and you go, okay, John, thank you very much. You know. So I was, you know, so this is a thrill that you're on the show. Well, I'm really thrilled to be to be here. That's lovely. Um, in the first Gulf War, uh, uh, then in 1991. Um, I was uh, th th I was in Baghdad and we were getting bombed every day, and the BBC was absolutely useless at cutting to to me. I mean, I that's music to my ears. What you said then, um, because clearly it wasn't 
wasn't quite like that. And I remember being in a in a sort of dogfight with with fighters and uh, and and bombs coming down and uh, missiles going up and explosions and everything. And I got on to to uh, Five Live, I think, and said, "Quick, put me on the air, put me on." The air. And they said, "Well, no, actually, we got the um, the opposition spokesman on education on, and we just got to finish this." <laughs> and by the time the opposition spokesman on education finished, um, the sky was clear, the sun was out, people were picking up the pieces. It was all over. Yeah, well, it could have been a horse race or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably that. Yeah, sorry, it could have been anything. Uh, Matt, describe uh, yes. the cover of John's book, please. Okay, so uh, dominant colours here are black and red, and so on a black background, we've got. Now, I'm going to ask your advice here, John. I'm going to guess this is the the uh, national emblem for for Russia. Is that, is the, that yeah, right? The in, one now, yes, yes, in, yes. in, in, in red. So it's, still, it's still got a crown on it from the yes. old Tsarist days. They brought that back. And they they faffed around about whether they should. Have have a crown, but uh, when they only had a president, uh, a, a com- an ex-communist, or probably not too ex-communist president like Putin. But anyway, they, the crown is there, and there it is in 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 red with um, Saint Michael, I think it is, uh, in the middle in in gold. Yes, indeed, with John Simpson, Moscow Midnight picked out in in, but, in white. You see, if I may say so, it's Moscow. Comma. Moscow Comma, correct, yeah. yes. And I, when people say Moscow Midnight, I listen very carefully to hear, is the comma in there? <laughs> I don't think the comma was there with either of you. I, think, I, I, think, I have to say, I think punctuation, spot the English literature student. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Punctuation in a title is usually wasted. Yep. <laughs> I think a title wasted, frankly. There are some film titles, you know, with colons, semicolons, all that kind of stuff. I think yep. it was yeah. just... Com- it's no. just, you know, you're, 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 you're too much colon stuff, do you really? Yeah. Anyway, so John Simpson's book is Moscow Midnight. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> uh, so tell us, take us into the world of uh, of Moscow. Now I'm going to have to pause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your book. Yes, take us yeah. into the world uh, your of book. your book and introduce us to uh, to John Swift, your your hero. Here. Well, uh, it, th- he bears more than a little passing resemblance to me. Um, he's actually based on another colleague of mine. Well, two colleagues, actually. Um, one physically, and I'm not going to say which one it is because I've, I've not been terribly kind about the, the sort of bulging stomach and, and, and so on uh, and the food stains down the tie. I mean, I'm not saying that I do not have a bulging stomach and food stains down my tie because I've had both. But um, is it Mark Mardell? <laughs> well, how would I? Would I'm I? Just, <laughs> I'm just guessing. So I'll move on. Uh, <laughs> um, and the voice and the tone and um, and the general sort of attitude to life was of a, a chap who had sadly died, a, a BBC radio correspondent. Um, with the same surname as me, Bob Simpson, uh, some years back now, and I used to spend quite a lot of time uh, with him in Sarajevo, in the siege of Sarajevo. He and I were were there together months on end, and um, really, literally. And uh, um, so I've got his voice in my in my head when I'm writing, but I have the. Mark's general sort of, uh, um, um, you know, body body shape, uh, as he was before he lost lots and lots of weight. Uh, and, of course, it's me as well. Um, so it's all three of us, really, a sort of cocktail. Yes, and, and but 
when, when we start the book, we find him in a, in a surprising place. He's very much down on his luck. In fact, he's uh, he's a thief, basically, because he doesn't pay his bill and he's uh, he's in a restaurant in Paris and he decides to make a break for it because he's... So how come he's down on his luck? He's um, He starts to uh, investigate the 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 death of a friend of his and this all every every bit of this book actually with one single exception is based on 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 something that either happened to me or to a friend of mine and the the person who died was a colleague of of mine who became an mp um stephen milligan tory mp and in 1994 he died uh, you you may still remember um really sordid death he was found naked on his kitchen table with a, a a bag over his head and an orange in his mouth with um some chemical injected into it and he had supposedly strangled himself for for sexual gratification i knew stephen so well and i was so fond of him i never 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 believed Believed it. I couldn't. Well, I at least at first I just thought um, this isn't the Stephen I knew. He was a bit innocent, actually. I mean, I wouldn't have known then. I still don't know how you get the chemical to inject the, how you you know do the noose and everything. I mean, he must have been really kind of schooled into this. To know. And he was just he was a church going straight guy. And of course, everybody laughs if you say that. But he he really was. He had a very charming uh, fiance who he was going to marry quite soon and then suddenly he does this but I thought well you you never know you can't tell about people I mean you Simon could be you know involved in all sorts of strange practices I, 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 I suppose I could <laughs> wow this went down an avenue I wasn't expecting there was a bit of a pause there, didn't you think? That was a, that was a, that was a comma. That was a comma, not a pause. It was a comma. There's a punctuation there. Anyway, I I did. I thought, you know, uh, who knows? Um, and then I met his old editor from when he had been a correspondent in in Russia. His old foreign editor, and I said to him, "Isn't it dreadful?" And he said, "Yeah. What you mean, the mur- Stephen's murder?" And I said, no, well, I mean, no, it was a sex game that went wrong. And he said, well, you'd be amazed how many of these sex games that go wrong that the Russians fix up for people they don't like. Now, I'm not saying that happened to Stephen Milligan, MP. I've, I've no idea. I'd never investigated it. I'm no, no. But this book is predicated on the possibility that an MP who died in this way was set up by the Russians. Long way round uh, of saying to you, he um, uh, the, the Russians start all sorts of stuff on him, which I won't tell you about, and he has to leave the country in a hurry, and uh, the only way he can just live uh, any kind of existence is to park himself in the basement of a of a block of flats in Paris, and he comes out um, every mealtime just about and uh, has a way of robbing um, the, the, uh, the, the restaurants and cafes that he works in. And the, the method is, uh, is something that uh, a man I knew, not really a friend of mine I knew, a real old crook who used to explain to me how you, how you do it. Yes, it was a very interesting 
have, you, have you thought of uh, <laughs> you thought of doing it? I mean, you make quite a decent living out of it. So, 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 so John John Swift thinks he's onto something. He thinks that uh, in, in your book, it's an MP called Patrick McCready, mm. uh, and he suspects he suspects that this is not. Uh, the death as advertised. He suspects the Russians uh, are behind it. In coming up with your uh, your scenario here, John, in coming up with your sort of modus operandi, why did you why did you pick Russia? Could you have picked China or Saudi well, or? Yeah, I, 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 the Chinese don't don't really operate like that. Um, uh, I mean, they the, the Chinese are really kind of quite klutzy and they're not not used to the ways of a of a of a of a first world country i mean they're terribly good at, at at nicking secrets and um but they're not they're not good at the kind of manipulation of public opinion and all of that sophisticated stuff uh i don't think there's anyone else really any other uh, country that would would do it i i wrote all this i mean i wrote the book oh i don't know nearly two well, i started writing it nearly two years ago and long before the skripal case in in salisbury or or any of that when really the russians i mean people knew the russians did all this kind of thing because of course uh you you couldn't avoid it but um uh, it wasn't quite as sort of in your face as it is now that the books come out. So I was quite kind of annoyed, really, that that, that it wasn't a, um, a you know it looked as though I just kind of thought, oh, that's script, I'll care, that's a good idea, that's I'll base my book on that. But I mean, what can you do? And it it does give it an extra verisimilitude, I think. I think it definitely it, it lends that um, topicality as well. I'm I'm particularly interested here in the, in the sort of two sides of John Simpson because John Simpson, the thriller writer needs, as every thriller needs, it needs a formidable opponent. And that is what you have in the Russian state and the FSB in this book. But I'm also interested in, in John Simpson, the World Affairs editor, because we had um, Ben McIntyre on the podcast a few episodes ago with his book, The Spy and the Traitor. And a uh, resonant theme that came from that was that we always thought the KGB was this all-knowing, all-seeing organisation, all-powerful organisation. And yet... What came through in that story, and Oleg Gordievsky makes a passing appearance in, in your book, but what actually comes through is that they are pretty incompetent and full of time servers, and uh, nobody will admit to making mistakes, and therefore the organisation doesn't learn. So although the FSB needs to be this all-powerful organisation in your thriller, I'm interested in what your 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 take is on the Russian state as it is at the moment, because it is very much seen as this. You know, they've had significant victories with the um, uh, meddling in in elections, both here and in and in the United States. The Sergei Skripal case you mentioned as well, but. Is it overstated? Do you feel that the Russian are getting of being built up by everyone? When really, how how much uh, power do they really have? It's a it's a, a lovely question. It's something which I've I've kind of tried to spend a bit of time explaining to people in in broadcasts and and everything else. You're absolutely right about it. Um, it's it's a a, a shambling wreck of a of a country a, a a shadow of its former strength under the soviet union when it was a superpower now it's a you know it's it's, it's got a rotten economy uh, it's a, a much smaller than it was physically and in population terms but 
It's got one thing. It's got a really clever president. And Vladimir Putin is a, uh, he's a kind of, uh, he's a sort of magician, really. Actually, what he's more like is, I don't know, they don't seem to have it anymore. But when I was younger, um, it, you'd go down some uh, fairly kind of rough street in London. And the chances were you'd, you'd find a group of people gathered around a table with a bloke with three glasses or cups or something or another on it. In one of those cups, there was a ball or a uh, um, a dice or something like that, and he'd be shifting them around with his hands, and people would be putting fivers down on which of the 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 cups contained the ball, and of course they always got it wrong because he was so clever, and that's what Putin is. He's not a great genius. He's just a really clever. He's clever at, at the sort of prestidigitation, if that's the right word, of fiddling around with the, with with things. He gives people the impression he's far stronger, and that his country is far far stronger than it was. He's he than it is. He grabbed hold of Crimea in twenty fourteen against all. Uh, international treaties and and everything, and when he thought that the pressure from the West uh, might might uh, be a threat to him, he caused lots of trouble in East Ukraine. Trouble that's still going on to this to this day. He's always he's doing something with one hand. And he's doing to attract your attention, while with the other he's doing the real business. And the real business for him in that case was Crimea, and all the stuff about Ukraine was just was just business that that, that other people were watching. He's um, he's by far the most brilliant performer on the world stage. Well, mind you, when you think about Donald Trump and poor old, uh, you know, um, uh, Theresa May, I mean, that's not exactly great competition. But he's, he's, he's brilliant. He's also, well, he's not unattractive as a person. And I, I've written some of that in the book about my own meetings with him and his his uh, his ways of doing these things but um you know he's he's um he's a, an operator he's not he's not a great politician but he's a really clever operator just on that though john you can't paper over the cracks forever can you and he might be a, a great magician but if you've got a declining economy and uh, a shambling state sooner or later that's going to come to the fore isn't it well you would you would think so you might actually hope so i mean i i you know personally i've got quite a few friends uh in the in the in the uh, the russian opposition and i'd love to see them i mean serious people decent serious people who would fit in perfectly well with with western politicians so yeah i'd love to see them come to power him failing i just don't not sure it's going to happen he's he's given don't forget how humiliated russia was in the after the fall of communism everybody was 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 sort of down on them and you know the economy utterly collapsed people were begging openly in the streets which had never happened since the since the 20s really uh, in russia and suddenly um he comes along and he tells them they're the greatest again. And what's more, he gets back the absolute prime bit of real estate in Crimea, which they'd really regretted losing. He's going to be coasting on that for a long time to come. We're talking to John Simpson. His book is Moscow Midnight. There you go. See, <laughs> it's in there. And we'll talk more with John in just a second. <laughs> 
It's Books of the Year, and John Simpson is with us. His book is Moscow, Midnight. Uh, John is the BBC World Affairs editor. Matt? Yes, I, we, we have touched on this briefly at the start, John, but I, I just want to dig a little deeper if we can. Your main character is John Swift, shares the same initials as you. And as you've already said, based on um, other correspondence you've known, but you, you would admit there is a little bit of you in there. And oh, more I, than a little. Exactly. Which brings me to my question: If you were to, if you talk to um, John Cleese about Basil Fawlty or David um, Ricky Gervais about David Brent, they will tell you that is me minus one aspect of my personality. So, uh, when Ricky Gervais talks about David Brent, he says, "Me without self awareness, I am David Brent." And John Cleese will say something similar about that with Basil Fawlty. And I wonder when you were coming up with John Swift. Which you say, obviously, there's a lot of you in there. Was there an aspect of you of you that you added, and you said, "This is what I would be like if I were more X," or was there something that you took away? There's something I took away, and it's really important to me. Um, I don't want to be too kind of um, smarmy about it, but it's my wife and my young son, who's now uh, twelve, um, and. Um, I, I'm actually a very happy person. I, I've got loads of uh, loads of problems. Who hasn't got loads of problems? And if you work for the BBC, you've got even more problems. And I've I've got all of that. Um, but I've got a really happy home home life, and I live a, a very pleasant existence. And this poor old John Swift, uh, he, he, he doesn't, you know, he lives in a, in a shack and, uh, and uh, there's always, you know, there's sort of kind of dirty clothes around and unwashed dishes. Well, um, you know, I mean, there would be if I was on my own, <laughs> but I fortunately am not. Is there, uh, you talk about being, being happy, John, but I, I wonder if there's, um, <laughs> there, there is an element of, um, Institutional revenge going on here in your writing, isn't there? In as much as I hope so, there's a bit. There's a, <laughs> yep. there is a bit of score settling. There's enormous score. <laughs> well, can I tell you what happened? I, um, we, we, the BBC got a new head of news in I think 2013. I was really riding high. I was a sort of top top guy uh, in in BBC foreign news. Um, and then I started to notice two things. One, that I wasn't going anywhere much. I wasn't travelling anywhere. I'd been, uh, I, when I came up with ideas, no, somehow or another, somebody else was uh, was had thought of it first. Um, somebody would be better than me to do it. Well, these things happen. Then I also noticed that my pay was being cut quite, quite um, uh, drastically, and. I realised uh, very slow uh, because I'm a, I'm a dope. Um, very slowly that uh, I, you know, this new boss was trying to get rid of me. I was I was kind of offsighted by it, if that's the word, by uh, the fact that he was always telling me how fantastic I was and how important I was to the BBC um, while uh, earning less and less. And um, uh, and I realised after a while um, that, I, you know, I was just being sort of pushed to the edge so that either I would fall off the edge or else I'd, I'd say, buggy you and jump. And I learned uh, actually quite an important thing. If you're being in the, in the modern um, uh, bureaucratic world that we live in, they can't actually 
sack you if you don't turn up to the meetings. And um, I used to get these messages saying, you know, that, that there'll be a, a meeting to discuss your case. You know, I was a case um, at such and such a time. And I just, I, I wouldn't turn up. And so it just prolonged it. But at the same time, I realized I was a probably on my way out. I was going to have to find another another way of earning a living. Um and 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 be that you know um, this was this was starting to be imminent, so I wrote I wrote this book. Well, I wrote I wrote a book which was about the BBC and about somebody like me that that you know is getting shoved out and then he has problems with the Russians and and all the rest of it. I mean the basic plot was was there, and I'd got it written. And uh, I was coming up to the what, what looked like an inescapable meeting, uh, um, and I was reading the newspaper one morning uh, over my toast and tea, and um, by some irony, it was a newspaper that this chap used to be the editor of. And there at the bottom of page 29 or something was a quarter-inch five lines that said that he was giving up the role of being head of news for the BBC. And he was going to, you know, whatever it is, spend more time with his family or, um, uh, you know, involve himself in new new, uh, um, um, new adventures and things. Um, so after I'd sort of calmed down a bit from running around the room shouting and, and yelling, I thought, Yes, uh, but uh, his successor will be a, f- a good friend of mine from way, way back, a sort of traditional BBC person who won't, I think, want to get rid of me. And I've written this book. So it took me two months of fairly careful grafting. But um, anyway, it's, it's Sky News. It's not the BBC. Uh, and that's the organisation that John Swift is kind of. Yeah, John Swift I, is working for a like a version, a version of, of Sky, a version of Sky, with a version of Rupert Murdoch yeah, in the background, yeah. with his picture on the wall. That's, well, his yeah. picture isn't on the wall in 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 reality, yes. but I I just couldn't I I couldn't kind of write think of a newsroom that I of, of an organisation I dislike. Not I don't dislike Sky News. I like it a lot, but you know, in my mind, my my version of a newsroom had yes. to have a sort of picture of the founder, like Stalin, on the wall. So, so John Swift's boss, Daniel Porchester, mm. that's your boss who is now running his own website. I couldn't possibly comment <laughs> on anything like that. I mean, uh, that's an outrageous suggestion to make. And I, I, uh, but yes, <laughs> yeah, but but yes, I, I, uh, a big um, plus for me from this book is is the sense of authenticity, particularly when we get into Russia, because I, uh, me and Simon were talking about this before uh, we came on air. But if uh, John Simpson, the author, is telling you how it looks and smells when you get on the underground <laughs> in Moscow, then that's pretty much how it is. I, I want to ask you about something that you, I think, is one of your characters. I don't think it's, it's John says this, but it's one of the other characters. And I, and I want to you, you just to explain a little bit more about it. They say that, um, contrary to our uh, suspicions in, in the West, people can say what they want in Russia. They just can't do what they want in Russia. I, I just want you to talk a little bit more about Well, I mean, I'd, I'd forgotten I'd written that, but uh, that is that is exactly what I what I think is the case. I mean, you know, I used to spend a lot of time in the old 
Soviet Union. Um, and apart from anything else, was that just that heavy weight? It wasn't exactly fear. It was you knew that if you did something that the state didn't like, not only you, but everybody would suffer. Now, you're not going to be locked up in a labor camp for the rest of your life, but it'll suddenly become really difficult for your son or daughter to get to university. You've your your uncle or your auntie will want a job in some quite important uh, um, you know sort of part of the a part of the bureaucracy and will suddenly find um, actually they're not going to get it after all there's a there was the state could punish you in ways that weren't cruel or or personal or well personal certainly but physical um, that's all vanished now and so when you go there, people are all people will grumble endlessly to you, especially in a place like Moscow, which where there is a more sense of personal freedom, and St. Petersburg the same. When you get out in in the sticks, they're more um, a little bit more careful, more old fashioned. But uh, you know they know they know that, that nobody's that nobody's going to come round and and do them, and the state doesn't run anything everything now like it used to. So, you know, if you want a, a um, some sort of job or you want a university place, um, you'll 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 get it. You don't have to keep your nose clean as far as the government's concerned in that in that way, um, and it's that's had a big effect on on the way that people are and the openness with which people behave. I mean, when I used to go to Moscow, particularly in the in the seventies, um, anybody that spoke to a foreigner had to be had to know what they were getting into because somebody could inform on them and uh, they could be in in real trouble um now you know everybody speaks to everybody there's and it's it feels like a different country but it's still got a rather unattractive system what are you going to be working on next john apart from BBC Affairs, are you going to Well, I've got on? another one of these to write. I've, uh, I've got another uh, another thriller to write, which will be about China, in fact, um, and uh, another country where I've got a, a, a... There's a sort of basic crime at the head of it. You know, I've, I've, been, I've been really so lucky um, over the years. I've, I've kind of managed to... Um, you know, the BBC sent me to places where I met all sorts of really, really interesting and useful people. And there's a man, there was a man, well, still alive in China called Bo Xilai, who was tipped for the absolute top job, the one that Xi Jinping now has. And um, something, well, things started to happen to him and his his wife uh, got accused of murdering a British businessman. Well, she may have done it for all I know, and uh, he was—he's in in jail as a as a as a result for the rest of his life. And she was lucky not to be executed. And um, you know, I know I know Al Boshilai, and I liked him a lot. But um, I I liked him. Real Anglophile used to wear these amazing suits from from. Uh, uh, from German Street, and um, I, I mean, my novel's going to be a, about him, and it's going to be very heavily based on my own experiences, just like Moscow, comma midnight, <laughs> nice done. Um, but it's um, 
you know, it, it, then it it sort of goes goes beyond. Uh, John Simpson, thank you very much indeed for coming in. We appreciate your time. John Simpson's book is Moscow Midnight. John, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. So thanks to uh, John Simpson for coming in. He was pretty open about who he was, because I hadn't realised which particular BBC employees... No, I just guessed at, a, you know, a larger-than-life correspondent. Yeah. It was obviously a bingo shot. <laughs> OK. Um, so thanks, John, for coming in. Uh, stand by, because our next guest coming, and the podcast will be with you in a, a few short days, will be none other than Sir Michael Parkinson. Oh, my. Talking about George Best. 